Hello. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I am David Osman, and with me today is Julian Morris of Unicus Research. Our subject for this podcast is ESG investing with its focus on environmental, social and governance matters, just a passing fashion or a really good long-term investment opportunity. The Independent Research Forum promotes a wide range of high quality independent research and alternative data providers from around the world, both macro and micro. Some are stock pickers, some are sector specific, some country specific, many are global, and all are investment related. ESG funds have become more popular with investors and have performed well in both 2020 and 2021. However, it is not so easy to define exactly what is or is not environmentally friendly, social or good governance. Increasing regulation and litigation are adding to the complexities for corporates and for ESG investors. To discuss these issues, I'm delighted that we are joined today by Julian Morris, the Chief Economist of Unicus Research, which is based in New York. Julian Morris is a highly regarded expert on economics, finance, technology, health, the environment and related policy matters. Julian has been researching environmental issues for nearly three decades. He ran the Environment Programme at the IEA, the Institute of Economic Affairs. He created the Sustainable Development Network and was a founding co-editor of the Electronic Journal of Sustainable Development. Currently, Julian sits on the editorial board of Energy and Environment. He is also a senior fellow at Reason Foundation, a senior scholar at the International Centre for Law and Economics, and a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. In addition, Julian is the author of many scholarly articles, as well as being a sought-after speaker and commentator. Unicus Research is a dedicated investment research platform for asset managers. Unicus provides global long-short equity investment ideas. Their core clients are managers of emerging or established hedge funds. Unicus delivers proprietary research strategies from seasoned industry experts and empowers asset managers by providing custom research, allowing them to focus on managing their portfolios. Julian, welcome. Let's start with a brief introduction to the advisory service that is provided by Unicus Research. Thanks, David. Well, you actually described it pretty well. We provide a combination of proprietary but uh, widely available research, um, including uh, a monthly newsletter and more uh, generic, if you like, uh, an analysis of what's going on with detailed investment analysis uh, undertaken by experts and investigators. I think combining that uh, th those two mechanisms for understanding the underlying value of investments uh, in order to provide our clients with detailed ideas 
about where they should be investing, whether it's uh, a long short fund, pure long fund, um, or uh, some other strategy. So what are your thoughts on green investing? Does it matter that the top five stocks of the big green index funds are comprised of technology stocks? So green investing sounds like a great idea. Um, And there's a wealth of evidence that in the past couple of years, funds that have labelled green have done well. It's not clear, however, that they've done well because they are inherently outperforming. And if you look over a longer term, there's evidence that green funds and ESG funds um, don't necessarily outperform. The reason why they've done well in the past couple of years is because there is a bias in these funds towards tech stocks. And of course, especially during the COVID pandemic, tech stocks have done very well. So it's not clear that uh, green funds per se are actually uh, going to outperform the market. Uh, And there, I think, is a danger that people have piled into these green funds. Now we've got over a a trillion dollars of of investment in, in such funds. And as a result, they've been they bid up the value of the stocks in those funds, leading to an impression of outperformance that is actually more of a bubble. So over 20 years ago, in 1997, you published a paper on eco labels, in which you explained that it is not possible to define an environmentally friendly good. Why is that? What implications does this have for green investing in the current decade? So fundamentally, there is a problem when talking about environmentally friendly or eco-friendly, uh, as as because each product has different environmental impacts. So a a, a product might have uh, in its in the production process result in uh, the consumption of material resources energy, um, and it might result in emissions. Similarly, taking that product from the manufacturer to the consumer entails the use of resources and emissions to the environment. The consumer then uses that product, which entails the consumption of other resources. So for example, let's say the product is a computer, Uh, that product consumes energy in use and uh, that there's emissions associated with the energy that's being used. So all along the chain from uh, production to consumption, there are various different environmental impacts. Trading off those environmental impacts against one another is very, very difficult. And even for a single product used by a particular consumer in a particular place, if that person buys a product, uh, the same product that was manufactured at a different plant, uh, the overall environmental impact could be could be significantly different. So there's serious problems with identifying, first of all, the total amount of impact 
<laughs> that, uh, that, a, that a product has because of the differences in emissions, the differences in resource use and so on that are associated with uh, a, a product. And there's no metric, no easy metric by which one can compare those different environmental impacts, whether it's emissions of sulfur to the air, whether it's uh, consumption of water, whether it's emissions of carbon dioxide and so on. These things, I, there's, there, there is no single metric that can be used to compare those environmental effects. And so it's not really possible to say that one good is better than another. And exactly the same applies when it comes to environmental investments. Um, when you are comparing one company with another, you're inherently going to be comparing uh, one company that has a certain set of environmental impacts with another company that has another set of environmental impacts that unless both companies are otherwise identical, in other words, the, the, the types of environmental impacts that they have, they emit the same types of emission to the air and to water. They consume water, they consume electricity. And it's still comparing them on, on those things exactly. And then there's no trade-offs at all. In other words, one company on every single measure is kind of, in a sense, more emitting than another. It's very, very difficult to, to, to make comparisons. And in the real world, there are very, very few, if any, examples of such companies. So what happens is the people who are interested in, in, in investing in, in environmental, environmentally friendly companies end up uh, referring often to uh, indexes that have been produced that essentially provide a, a checkbox approach to investing. So companies are, are considered ESG approved if they, if they check the right boxes if they if the companies achieve the, the the benchmarks that make them eligible for inclusion in the fund and julian is, is this a problem with the state of maryland where there is this green business initiative the green business certification scheme whereby companies companies can receive a corporate sticker that gives them credibility as a green compliant business but the state wants companies to meet several criteria and the green team will assign point values. I mean, are such green standards and benchmarks at all reliable? Well, though such green standards uh, essentially reflect the views of those who create them. So, so there are inherently trade-offs between uh, different environmental characteristics of a company. And Maryland has chosen to set the framework for those trade-offs in such a way as to prefer one set of environmental concerns over another. And as long as the company checks the boxes on the set of concerns that the state of Maryland has identified for itself as being of relevance, it will get its cert certification. That by no means uh, means that such a company is environmentally superior to another company that doesn't meet those criteria. It just means that you've met a, a set of pretty arbitrary benchmarks created by the state of Maryland, which is exactly the same problem that you face with uh, these many other uh, in, environmental uh, 
benchmarking activities done for, for investment purposes. Not really helpful overall. And when it comes to ESG bonds, what are the risks involved with the mentality of all green, from your toothpaste to your bonds? So all investments that are in somehow constrained by arbitrary environmental characteristics will suffer in a sense a, 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 an additional cost associated with validating that environmental characteristic. With green bonds, you're, you're paying an additional premium for the bond to have been validated as green. It's not clear that that validation is going to be beneficial either to the environment or to the investor. Um, and there is obviously an additional risk associated with the bond if down the stream the criteria are not met that then makes the the bond uh less valuable so you've you've created an additional risk factor for investors so does the esg arena currently provide investors with some particularly interesting long and short investment opportunities separate from esg investing per se there are, I think, opportunities both for uh, investors who really want to understand the dynamics of the market. So if it were the case, for example, that there, there were a bubble being created in ESG, then there could well be opportunities to uh, short those stocks that have been pushed unjustifiably as just because of their supposed ESG characteristics. But there is another investment opportunity, which is more particular to uh, the distortions that are created in the market by governments and by public concern, such as the, the distortion in favor of electric vehicles. So we put out a report on electric vehicles last year we identified in that report a number of potential uh, opportunities, uh, both for long and short investments. We focused not just on the vehicles themselves, we drilled down into uh, some of the underlying uh, technologies and, uh, and materials that went into the cars, and particularly focused on the materials going into the battery, because as, uh, as my colleague Burke Files puts it, uh, an electric vehicle is essentially a large battery on wheels. And among those elements that we focused on, one of the materials that we focused on, uh, were, were some of the rare earth metals, as well as um, metals such as nickel. And if you've seen over the past year, the price of nickel has gone up extraordinarily just in the past few months, uh, in no small part, obviously, because of the very sad events in the Ukraine. The price of nickel has gone up a between three and five volts. So massive bump in, in the price there. So that would have been a, a, a good investment to have made based on uh, the reading of our research that we put out last year. What are your thoughts on the durability of the present day focus on ESG matters among consumers, corporations and investors? I think there's two parts to this. First, there is a long-term trend in favour of uh, concern about the environment and the impacts that humanity is having on, on society. 
So I think there is a genuine long-term trend towards improving those things. And that has led in part to this increase in uh, interest in uh, ESG investing. However, ESG investments as they're currently conceived, probably it's very difficult to tell anyway, if any specific ESG investment really is going to have benefits for the environment, for society, um, or for, for governance. So I suspect if, if, if logic were to prevail, at least, that um, over time there would be a continued interest in and concern about ESG, but the type of investment that takes place really ought to shift. It ought to shift away from the, these checkbox approaches and towards a much more tailored, uh, bespoke approach to investment in companies, bonds, and so on that have an environmental or a social or a governance or all three characteristics. Um, the sort of approaches that Unicus is really geared towards uh, identifying. So in a, cha- in a changed world, how stable is the definition of what constitutes an ESG investment? For instance, following the Russian attack on Ukraine, should the defence industry be viewed as being fundamental to the protection of Western society and civilised values? If so, should defence industries be included in ESG funds? Is Putin's Russia, or indeed Xi Jinping's China, an acceptable ESG investment? If so, is the ESG criteria in danger of becoming so broad that it involves almost everything and in doing so becomes relatively meaningless? Well, this is the, you've really identified the nub of the problem, which is that different characteristics um, that are represented by environment, social governance, often are incommensurate with one another. So, for example, uh, if you have a fund that's invested heavily in solar panels on the basis that they are a provider of lower carbon electricity, um, and that get gives you some some E points in your ESG, you are very likely, not certain, but very likely to be supporting through that a company, possibly a state-owned enterprise in China, um, which might conflict with the governance and possibly the social criteria. Likewise, um, if you're invested in uh, a car manufacturer that's focused on uh, electric vehicles, you might be indirectly extracting Uh, lithium from Bolivia or getting rare earth metals from China, both of which would be problematic in different ways, whether it's uh, social or government on the part of in in, in Bolivia or or social governance in China. So there's trade-offs and and that's the problem. It, it, It makes much more sense to focus on particular concerns that particular investors might have rather than try and throw everything into this ESG bucket. So, for example, if you were concerned about the stability of the policies in Europe, then 
you might well be investing in uh, uh, businesses that undertake fracking, for example, and uh, lobby for the opening up of oil and gas uh, fracking in Europe in order to reduce the demand uh, for such materials from, uh, let's say, less democratic states, including, but not limited to, Russia, Iran, Venezuela, and so on. Um, so there, I think there's an interesting trade-off because very often fracking is, consi is considered by, it, or the oil and gas industry even, is considered um, a sort of anathema in ESG funds. But, but actually, if, you, if, you're, if your concerns are more about the, the state of the world, and actually, practically speaking, about efficient ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, then you should be focused on increasing natural gas production because it's a great bridgefall for low carbon uh, solutions. It enables the production of more electricity using intermittent sources like solar and wind uh, than would otherwise otherwise be the case. Now, now we're seeing increasing. ESG regulation, could this discourage ESG investing due to the increasing risk of litigation for the corporate and financial sector? Rather than trying to define every aspect of their ESG activities, would it be more sensible for companies to have no more than a vague statement about favouring ethical practices and impact investments? If it if it's on it, that that would be an unfortunate outcome in a sense. If if governments decide that they are the arbiters of the meaning of ESG and introduce regulations to that end, the consequence I think would be that uh, companies would be uh, forced to comply with the the government's like Maryland's right arbitrary uh, definition of what uh, ESG means. That, as you say, would lead to uh, some combination of, some companies would be very strictly compliant. They would, they would, they would ensure that everything they did was uh, to the letter. Other companies would, would uh, seek to avoid the label uh, because it would come with all of these, uh, these restrictions. And so would then be prevented from communicating uh, actually a different set of uh, environmental or social governance characteristics to uh, to potential investors so it would it would diminish the opportunities for uh, for real change if you have governments trying to define and enforce these things and then the the plaintiffs bar getting involved and messing the the entire investment <laughs> system up julian Many thanks for this fascinating insight into the service that is provided by Unicus Research. With more time, it would be interesting to discuss some of your other views about the various risks and opportunities in global financial markets in these tragic and volatile times. The Independent Research Forum is offering a short trial to the Unicus Research Service and can provide details of how to subscribe to their full service. More information is available from the Independent Research Forum on request. Thank you for listening to this IRF podcast with Julian Morris of Unicus Research. <laughs>